country. Hello, this is the Eyes on Isles podcast, powered by the Fan Sided Sports Network. I'm your host, Joe Bono. Follow me on Twitter at IslesFix and subscribe to our Monday through Friday Islanders newsletter. And I'm here joined once again by our full-time recurring guest, the man who I don't think bet the Islanders tonight, Mr. Randy Francis. How are you today, sir? How's it going? How you feeling? This game five just concluded, and it's Play on. a real weird feeling after a game like that because it's almost like there's a little bit of a yucky feeling because I don't know a single person who was content with what they saw when they started that game. And this is coming on the heels of game four where everybody unanimously, if, unanimously, if you were looking at what was being said out there and like the narratives, everybody was disgusted at the performance, at, at just the what the team had to give in that game four. And going back to that Washington game with their season on the line, that was my training wheels. Like I saw, I'm like, okay, I have no reason other than what this team has shown me to believe they're just going to come out and we were going to see the worry about it tomorrow, Islanders. And if you were to look at everything said and tweeted by everyone, even the tone of your tweets that you put out there, you're like, well, at least there's this, you know, like about Sorokin playing well. Everyone yeah, felt he... <laughs> like we were just waiting. We were just waiting for, you know, the dam to collapse. But you saw what happens when Sorokin plays up to his potential and the team doesn't even play well. The team played poorly very poorly and now with the team playing poorly and the goalie playing that way you come out with the win imagine if the team played well and the goalie played that way so it's 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 weird it's mixed emotions after a game like that for me what about you no i think similar in that uh, you know it was going to be difficult going in that building a clinching situation you just want to be able to survive the first 10 minutes and they and they were doing that because Sorokin looked sharp he looked as sharp as he had the entire series without question and uh they got they got a forecheck and and a an okay goal i mean if we went five hole angle it probably one ronta wants to stop right there and then they get the offside to negate the power play goal and all of a sudden you're going this might be the Islanders night and then other things would happen as well. Looking at it sitting here um, here on a late on a Tuesday night as the series is going back now to Long Island for game six. I kind of feel that although the Islanders were luckier than maybe they were good here tonight, the series is kind of where it should be because they should have won game two. They were the better team. I think Carolina was the better team tonight. Um, I kept on checking that money puck. You know, deserve a win o meter. Um, and it was around thirty. Swear to God, with all the things you got going on in your life. I can't make this. I can't make I can't go to this thing. I can't I have watch the Islanders playoff the games. I have to go to a dinner with win. my I have to go to my dinner with the chalk neighbors. But but I always have time for the deserve to win a meter. Oh, we always have time <laughs> to check out the updated playoff curious. percentages. I'm just curious. I'm like that kind of like I watched the period and I go that kind of felt like a 32%, 35% and yeah, sure enough, uh that's what it is. But listen, the Islanders, this has been a season where whenever you've start to felt good about this team, they've let you down. They give you a reason why you think the season should be over, and then whenever you give up on them, they give you a reason for a little bit of hope. And it happened time and time again in the regular season, and it happened again tonight. How they got there, odd. 
The Engvall goal obviously came at a time where they were being pretty much dominated in the first period. The Brock Nelson goal, it's partly luck and partly an amazing play by Brock in terms of the hand-eye coordination. And then Matthew Barzell, for the second time in the series, scores a goal late in the period, shows off a shot from the slot that he has and doesn't want to use. And, you know, he's doing the post-game, Andy, not the post-game, after the the intermission report, he's talking about how badly he wanted to pass the puck to Bo Horvat <laughs> after having the goal, probably wanted to get him going. And then I really liked what they saw. You know, the the goal by Ajo outs, um, notwithstanding, I was okay with their third period. I don't know how you felt about it. I thought their third period was pretty good. I thought they didn't sit back. I thought they had some chances. Even though they got outscored in that period, I didn't mind their effort, and they got damn close on that lead play uh, for making it a 4-1 game. Well, look, you're going to get chances when there's a team who's offensively deficient, which is something we've talked about. And as this series has gone further and further, they've grown even more offensively deficient because of the you know, lack of personnel and who they're playing out there. They're, they're throwing Jesse Pugliarvi out there with Ajo. They need the corpse of Derek Stepan to produce. Drew I mean, a penalty really, today in third yeah, period. Drew a penalty on a breakaway. Or I guess, or, uh. or went to the other corpse of, of Stastny. They're, they're running corpses out there, so if they're trying to tie it, they have to activate their defensemen, the same way the Islanders had to activate their defensemen in the third period of the last game, which gave odd man rushes the other way. It was kind of the same thing. But, you know, it, it, I, I agree with you that it should be around 3-2, to two, but those warts were growing and growing. Like, I'm just thinking of, who is that? Who is the, the big blueberry in Willy Wonka? where she just kept growing You're turning and growing. violet violet yeah exactly <laughs> it just kept getting bigger it was it was the penalty kill looked atrocious two backdoor plays one went in and fortunately yeah. was been using that all series and two just sorokin had to make what he's best at he, he, covering the, the low part of the net time. with his post-to-post mm -hmm. -post play not corners getting picked on him anything like that that is his bread and butter moving across the crease and covering all sorts of one-timers down low and everything like that. But that's atrocious special teams. And the power play, you think it can't get worse. It's gotten <laughs> so bad now, they don't even think that they can set up. They don't even believe that they can gain control of it. And now they're starting to get off the ice with like 55 seconds left. They're just like, all right, just send, <laughs> just send out the second unit. It's... I and mean, yeah, like 10 to 15 seconds to the first one, uh, Dobson fumbles it. You know, Barzell drive by. Next thing you know, they're giving up a shorthanded shot, you know, right off the bat like that. And then Dobson uh, maybe does them a favor and takes the uh, neutral zone interference penalty when he steps on the skate. That leads to the four on four. And ultimately, Barzell scores uh, on the four on four, four on four with both Stahl and uh, Dobson in the box. But yeah, it's it's two sides on the on the on the special teams because it's not just how poorly their power play has been, it's just how bad the penalty kill has been against this Carolina team that you watched a lot of and that were not playing well on the power play, weren't playing well in general, but their power play was Second around to last. Yeah, it was Only around Islander level. Us. Yeah, it was around Islander level percentages for a period of time there. Um, and they look like world beaters on this power play. They get set up. They move the puck quick, tic-tac-toe, back door. You know, Nakus has been fantastic this series. Um, in, in those remember spots, earlier this year when goals. you were just like, remember earlier this year, you're like, 
No, no, no. It's the road penalty kill. It's, it, it's but the, but at home it's great. No, no, no. An awful penalty kill is an. Hey, you don't awful, forget anything no... I say. Do you listen back to these episodes? That's a good memory. Yeah, I did say that early on. No, December, well, maybe. when when some people say things that that I have to actually fight myself off to. Are you are you nuts? But but I have to just slow myself <laughs> down and say just let let it play out. Just the stats. He will see for himself. Just the stats. See for exactly and that's why i tell you you have to look deeper than that when push comes to shove it's not gonna be oh the road penalty kill versus the home your style of penalty killing is either working or it's not and you you saw some of these warts it was that scam first month of the season where we started like you know we killed like 25 in a row and our numbers hovered all year because of that Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I never looked past that. I mean, I didn't expect it to be this bad because even a bad penalty kill was preventing Carolina from scoring power play goals. And it's just no. It's you're maddening. worried. You take those penalties now. You're like, oof, this is going to be a long two minutes because they're going to spend the entire time in the zone. I mean, that was so what's so impressive uh, down the stretch of the third period here because that's so much time six on five, and the Islanders didn't really give up a great shot. They really kept in their lanes. They you know, obviously we're on the ice a long time, uh, but did a good job. Didn't screen Sorokin. It was tense, but they they were in there right. They were in the right positions and played that overall well. And really, the key before that is that they're on the power play. And Scott Mayfield, who you've been touting, has been really strong this series. Had a, an amazing moment there. Uh, I forgot. I, I know they said it. I think in the post game, I didn't hear exactly the number. Don't recall it. Probably around. 30 seconds maybe of the power play, just pinning the puck along the boards, just an all-time play by Mayfield there. And then they take the high-sticking penalty on Horvat, cancels out the power play. That was huge. And then it was around the next four minutes left for them to try to hold on to the lead. Mayfield's doing everything out there. He's blasting everyone. In a physical series, every single person's getting cracked by him. When he can, he's contributing offensively, trying to join the rush just to give that threat of the extra man, not getting caught out of position, not fumbling pucks, not turning it over, all those things you may have been worried about game 25. When it comes to the playoffs, you get the best from him, and his style suits the playoffs perfectly. And we've seen that. And I had no doubt that that Pellick, Mayfield and most likely Pulak, and yes, we have seen that too. Those three guys, when you have that build, that tall, lanky, pretty heavy set build, it was the same thing with Taves. That that is the prototypical NHL defenseman come playoff time. And it's why those guys they they tend never to struggle in long stretches. But the other ones, you saw some of those tonight. You know, we got we got major I, I was happy with him. For the most part, the first couple of games, not on the power play, but for me, you know, I'm always thinking defense, keeping pucks out of your net. But we've had Chris Campoli sightings lately, and Ooh, you've seen yeah. lifetime defenders coming. of Threat this guy coming. finally flipping, saying, and they're doing, they're trying to, they don't want to seem like such disgraces for their original take, saying, this guy's got all the talent in the world, but he needs to get some hockey IQ. So, you know, they're, they're trying to give themselves a halfway out by saying he has all the talent in the world. No, we have a Campoli sighting. We have Campoli sightings in the series. And at what point do you give somebody else a chance on the top power play unit? I mean, how many times do I need to keep retweeting my top power play line before they finally, because now it's gotten so bad. <laughs> it's gotten so bad. They don't you know even what? want to retweet it again. I'll retweet it. From the Isles Fix account. We'll see if we can get a little boost. There's two days before the next game, so more time. Get more eyeballs on it. Maybe 
maybe something changes between now and Friday. I, one, one can only hope. One can only hope. Um, another another thing that happened in this game was, you know, people, I think, you know, down 3-1, it's kind of that time, well, is the coach going to shake up the lineups? And the lines kind of came out um, saying looking exactly the same as they have been all series. But uh, pretty early in the game, you know, they split up. They did split up Barzell and Horvat. And, and Barzell's playing with J.G. Pajot, um and, and Anders Lee. And you got Horvat playing on a different line. And, and both lines look better. They look better apart uh, than they did together, um, even though they were on the ice at the, at the same time on that four-on-four play on the two-on-one where Barzell ended up keeping it and uh, scoring over Ronta to make it 3-1. It'll be interesting to see if he starts the game with them like he did today and breaks them up if they're not going, or um, he can, you know, start the game with some of these kind of new uh, version 2.0 lines outside of the Palmieri, Engvall, and uh, Nelson line. I just don't understand what, what, why is it such a big deal? Why is it such a big issue making these adjustments on the fly? I was watching the Colorado game last night. McKinnon and Rantanen on separate lines. They fell down two, thought they needed a boost. McKinnon and Rantanen on the same line. You can make these adjustments in game. Why does it always have to be once you you're the you're a dead horse, you're, you're Blade. You're you're in the movie Blade when they've sucked him of all blood and he's on his last limb. He can barely breathe. That's when we implement the change. When there's almost nothing left, we're almost the dead horse. That's when he's finally like, you know what? Let's try a little line swap here. It's just crazy how long it takes for these things to happen. It was an interesting one, too, because I don't think even when people were considering splitting them up, I'm not sure necessarily that people were envisioning, you know, Pajot and, and Barzell on, on the same line. You know, interesting mix. And uh, again, they, they they played well together. That was definitely a line that seemed like it had... Um, you know, more zone time, felt like things were moving. They weren't bogged down. They were gaining the zone. We'll see whether or not uh, the, that kind of sticks um, over for game six. And then I think another big theme of this game, at least on social media, was the fourth line and the fourth line kind of being hemmed in and not really playing very well, but continually getting the trust of Lane Lambert night in and night out and um, more, tra- more times than night not here in game five, did you have any issues with the amount of ice time and the amount of opportunities that the, the fourth line had? I, I thought Zizekas was fine, but obviously I think, uh, you know, Clutterbuck and, and Martin, I, I think, struggled quite a bit. Well, that line always is more likely to have effective games at home when they could feed off the crowd than on the road. But as many people have pointed out, they just don't even have the juice of a few years ago. They're, they're just kind of slow out there. And I would be a proponent um, of, you know, I was talking to a certain guy we know before, and, you know, he just he, he says too many things, but once in a while something good will fall through like a Plinko chip. I would put Fashing on that same fourth line that he played with already, and then I would put Holmstrom with um, the same two that he was familiar with, the new identity line. What did they call it? What's the new one called? I don't, there, I there don't was know. A, there was there a was name something floating out there. Lane's identity. I don't know. It was something like that. Mistaken was... identity. <laughs> <laughs> identity theft. It was yeah, a Pajot, Parisi, uh, and Holmstrom. Just, I mean, I don't mind if they want to go back to this, the the same thing next game because I do think that line is more likely to to pay dividends. Especially that's going to be an emotional game. Crowd's going to go nuts. I would imagine the Isles 
I don't want to say that they're just going to Don't win say it, yeah. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately, the team who scored first has won every single game. And I do believe the Isles would have scored first in game four if they didn't come out there. They came out too emotional, and they took penalties, and they fell down before. You're a history guy. This is not me looking anything up. This is me just remembering when they split that series with the Lightning in 3 4 and they won game two, I believe, after a very close game one. They came back uh, to the Coliseum for game three, and they were just running every. I think it was like Rick DiPietro's first home playoff game. They were running everybody. I think they took two penalties, like St. Louis score, and then they could just never catch up because they were playing from behind. It reminded me exactly of that game. They fell behind because of the five-on-three, then they were chasing that, and when you chase games versus a team who's as structured as Carolina, you find yourself falling further Mm -hmm. and further behind. Couple that with the fact that we have no special teams and Carolina scored again. So obviously the first goal is going to be paramount. Yeah. And the first goal, I mean, they made a big deal about the stats. I've been writing about this stat now for over a week. Um, Islanders had not scored first in 10 uh, playoff games until the Engvall goal. And it was the first time in 20 five games that they actually finished the first period with the lead 25 playoff games. The last time they ended the first with a lead in the postseason was game five of the 2020 conference finals against the Tampa Bay lightning. Now the, the game four, just for a moment, um, just going back a little bit to the, the fourth line, because they had a really good game three. I mean, Zizekas, you know, a, just a great warrior type goal uh, to, to, Break the scoreless tie, knock down, gets back up, one timer, bang, one nothing. And then, you know, seconds after the Palmieri goal, Martin contributes and makes it a 3 1 game. Islanders out hitting Carolina in game two, that carried over to game three. And then game four was just, you know, the word is everyone's using is undisciplined. And it was such a fine line because they came out playing so strong. Pulak had that great opportunity early in the first couple of minutes of the game. And then that Parisi goalie interference, and you know they showed it uh, during the pregame today, and I hadn't really looked at it from this, this uh, purview previously, but you know they call embellishment on Barzell later on, and Ranta just flopped on that play yeah. uh, with, yeah. with Parisi in the crease. And it's really that that swung things because, you know, that doesn't happen. And the pool lock hit making the five on three doesn't happen. But the penalty that bothered me more than anything else was the Martin penalty because it was a carbon copy of what he did in the set in um, game two, just yep. knocking the guy from behind, clearly a penalty. Referee has to call it. And to do that down a goal at the end of a period against McEachern of all, ple- of all yep. ple- people, like, what are you thinking? And it became a must-kill that they weren't able to kill. And by the time it was about 10 minutes left in the second period, you knew the game was over. How about that? You remember when the Islanders played Game 7 against Tampa? Although they were being outplayed, they never took a penalty early in that game or first period, second. So it remained 0-0 or whatever it was, like however long. I, I think you know, like halfway through the second period and they were getting outplayed, but at five on five, it's not just as easy to bury one. I mean, how undisciplined are the Islanders? How many penalties? You can complain about penalties all you want, but you know, there are still plenty to go around. How They showed that uh, like chart of how many, I think they've taken at least four penalties every game. That's crazy. There, there, there's so much 
Like, what's the point? What's the point about? How about of that? having this veteran team that's playoff exactly. tested exactly if they're going to come out and be the undisciplined team game after game after game? And again, the penalties here tonight were, you know, they were stopping scoring chances for, for, for more so. But the game, I mean, the game four, it was just an embarrassing performance. Yeah. And then just the, the overall, and this is something that has shown itself all year, something we've talked about time in, time out, and you saw Steve Levy say it. Oh, he goes, interesting to see, like, Islanders like lacking urgency, lacking desperation. How many times are we going to beat this dead horse? And how many broadcasts are going to notice it as well? You had Brenda Moore calling it out at the end of the season. You had that Washington game where they just looked at you afterwards and said, I don't know. I don't know why. Nobody has answers to anything. And the overall game-to-game carryover. If we're evaluating Carolina, do they look different from game one to game three? It's the same freaking effort every single game. Sometimes you beat them, sometimes you don't. But it's us who's the, you know, the Richter scale up and down, up and down, up and down. And I don't get it. Yeah, there's no way. Aren't you professionals? If if you're Rod Brindamore, there's no way you're upset at the way your team played tonight. You're just not. You're going to just say... This was a game where we just did not get the bounces, got some unlucky things. Even the offsides, it wasn't like it impacted the play. It's on the other far side of the ice. They get set up like, you know, it's an infuriating loss if you're Carolina, given the injuries, because you're looking at your team and you're seeing how how you go longer and longer in a series and players start to wear down a little bit more. And you go, wow, this was a real great opportunity to win a series and maybe get as much as a week off um, waiting for the Rangers-Devils winner to come. And now you got to go back to Long Island for game six. Crowd's going to be crazy. A Friday night, Emerald Lot. People are going to be tailgating much like they did uh, the prior uh, Friday night as well uh, while I was at dinner. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. And, um, you know, you're expecting a great effort from the Islanders. But again, who knows what to expect? Whenever Whenever you've gotten to the point where you've expected something from this team, good, bad, or indifferent, they've normally given you the opposite. So... You know, who knows what we're going to get on Friday? Like you said, Carolina knows what the effort's going to look like. That might not always equal equate to the, the same result that they want to have. But for the Islanders, we have no idea what we're going to see uh, come Friday. Well, I'll tell you what. To start the game, they're going to have a similar start. They're going to be hitting everything that moves. They're going to be feeding off the crowd. But there are two things that you have to look for. One, are you taking penalties? Two, if you get a power play, which is a possibility... When you shank another power play, it's it just sucks the life out of the crowd and the team. Like where at five on five, they were hitting everything. They were excited. After a lost power play, then it's kind of just back to skating normally. It would be way better to have no penalties called in the whole first period and come out 0-0 because you can come into that next period with, with the excitement. But the special teams is absolutely sucking the life out of the team there's not one situation where it's helped them the entire time. And maybe you can point at that last second goal by Palmieri, which ended up winning that one game. But every single game, 0 for, Warren, 0 for 4 in game one, which was a one goal loss. Then in game two, um, there was there was a short, was that the shorthanded goal? Well, they gave up the two, they gave up the two power play goals in that game as well. Oh, yeah, they gave, no, game three was the was the shorthanded, shorthanded goal when goal, you're yeah. up one nothing at home. It's like special teams. I, 
we we know this. It's not just this series. I got the Kings on in the background right now. They were down three nothing in LA, about to go down three one in that series. Two power play goals, and then that game is tied. Power play wins and loses series, and it, it's a borderline crazy that they're in that it. That once again, in spite of the special teams, they're alive. Yeah, and could be yeah. alive and well um, with uh, with all the momentum heading back to Carolina for a game seven. It's possible, um, and you know, Carolina. Oh, no. You look at this, you look at this um, lineup that they're putting out right now, and you look at the opportunity that's there for the Islanders to get to a second round because it could not, it could not be there any better given the injuries that they had coming into the series. They lost two more forwards in in Drury and obviously Teravainen in the series as well. It, it, it'll be a kicking you type of series loss if the Islanders. Uh, do not pull this out somehow in, in seven games. And if they do, it'll be a huge tip of the cap to the team for finding a way. Uh, but they will have found a way against the team that has shown us the vulnerabilities that they had towards the end of the season in this series, despite the fact that they've played pretty well. You still see that they're kind of a limited team as to what they can do. And uh, very winnable, very beatable. And uh, Islanders found a way somehow, some way to uh, give them an opportunity to come back and, and win this whole thing. And then see what happens in another series. What is your thoughts before we head to a break? What the heck is going on with those skinny 17-year-old kids uh, going into Madison Square and winning two? Well, if you watch those games, so you had two absolute beatings in New Jersey. And it's hard for me to say, and then Jersey went in there and reclaimed the series. You know, you're looking at two trickler one-goal wins. Rangers had a one-nothing lead. And what... What was it in games one and two that just had them blowing them out of the water? The power play. It was putting them up multiple goals. They're up one nothing in game three, and then they go like 0 for 3 on the power play whatnot because the Devils have been very undisciplined. That's to be expected of a young team. Uh, That's to be expected of a young team, not a veteran team, who most of which went to -to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. But the Devils are taking penalties, and the Rangers, all of a sudden, their power play has gone dry it's dry out there jerry bone dry as banya would say and now in back-to-back games at home they weren't able to score one power play goal i think it was it's like oh for they're oh for their last nine or something like that and the same way special teams has dictated our series special teams has now dictated that series because the inability for that power play to convert the rangers were old school lazy veterans just thinking, okay, well, this is going to be an easy rest of the series. And then they lost two one-goal games because their power play wasn't able to close out game three. And then game four, it was tied. And then the Devils scored one in the third. But, you know, the aggregate is like, <laughs> is like what, like 15 to, to four or something like that? And, I mean, I would imagine, I would imagine that you're going to get the Rangers, who are also a veteran team you're going to get one of their best efforts in game five but you could always hope you could always hope for those devils it sets up well like it would have been very difficult as an islander fan to watch game five watch two teams in your area uh play a pivotal game five with a crowd crazy with your season over uh now you get to kind of Enjoy this a little bit for two days, get two days, get really excited for game five and see how things are shaking up in that Devil Ranger series. Uh, we'll take a break. Joe Bono, Andy Francis, Eyes on Isles podcast. We'll be right back. We're back. Joe Bono, Andy Francis, Eyes on Isles podcast. The New York Islanders force a game six on Long Island Friday night 
in their series against the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, first time the Islanders have been able to force a game six when down 3-1. And in over 25 years, they've pretty much always gone out with a whimper in this situation. The one the one thing they did with an asterisk was that Jordan Everly double overtime game five that forced game six in the 2020 conference finals. That was technically a road game, but of course that was in the Edmonton bubble. But you go back you know, longer than that, 0-3 against Ottawa, lose easily game five, 0-4 you know, Tampa Bay, lose easily game five, put up a little bit of fight against the Buffalo Sabres in 07 and you're out. Um, so, you know, more times than not in these situations after we beat, after we beat Florida in 16. In yeah. And 16. Yeah. That was a, they, that was a no show game. That game that was really yeah, at the but, two straight overtimes. Brutal. Um, uh, so yeah, that, I didn't know what to expect and, uh, they sent it back again, credit to them, uh, for, for doing just that. So I wanted to give the listeners kind of an update as to how my Friday night, um, transpired last week. It was a fancy bougie type restaurant. I had the the halibut with some sautéed spinach, you know, all the cocktails, you know, fancy names on them. I had something called the Freddy's Old Fashion, and uh, we was in this kind of round uh, booth. So I didn't have to make the announcement I thought I was going to need to make about checking the game. I was able to like put the phone like on the, you know, on the booth, like yeah. below me by my by my by my, uh, my thigh and just kind of check it periodically. And obviously there wasn't much going on. So that went well. And then they wanted to change venues. So I thought I was going to go back home and watch that third period, but I said, Hey, let's change venues. But luckily they picked like the one dive bar in town. And I got there when I first thing I got there, the Boston Bruin game is on like all the TVs and I am in new England now, I guess, technically in Connecticut. So I had to ask the bartender, I'm like, can one, can one TV be the New York? <laughs> please. So they put the TV that was, right next to me where I was standing and I got to watch the entire third period there. A couple high noons, watch NHL postseason history, four goals in two minutes and 18 seconds. And it was a perfect Friday night. No regrets. Glad I didn't cancel. I, I just hate to hear that. Why? Because the, the best period for the Islanders happened to be the third and you, you missed the first and second period of a pivotal playoff game because your chalk neighbors decided that having dinner and talking about report cards and when parent-teacher conferences are and how this year's differs from last year's was more important than probably the biggest game of the Islanders season at, the, at that exact point in time. We didn't talk report cards. It might have been talk about transitioning to kindergarten and that kind of stuff, uh, but uh, no report card talk. But again, I knew that if the Islanders won, overall the night would have felt fine. So... Um, and the fact that I got to watch the third period in kind of like a lively atmosphere, even though no one else was paying attention to the Islander game besides me, was 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 great. So if I was um, sitting at the table next to you, I would have just leaned over and said, "Man, I'm so nervous." I mean, first and second grade that was easy, but social studies division this is going to be tough. Well, but but here here's here's the thing, right? So do, I have you, you know like you're from? now. No, I don't, and I've never that's, seen the movie Blade, by the way. That, that's fine. But somebody else—that—that's Billy Madison when he's waiting oh. in third grade at the opening. Oh, do it again! Do it seen, again! Have you seen Billy Madison? I've seen Billy Madison. Man, I'm so nervous. I mean, first and second grade—that was easy, but social studies division is going to be tough. And the kid is just <laughs> has his mouth gaped open. So then Billy Madison just looks to his right at Ernie, and, and this is when he just first meets him, and he just goes, 
man, I'm so nervous. He just repeats the same exact line, <laughs> hoping to get some sort of response. And then Billy goes, relax, dude. And then that's when Veronica Vaughn. Veronica Vaughn, yeah. I know I've seen the, I've seen the movie uh, a few times, but I remember like um, being with my my wife and the movie was on and it was like a movie that she watched, you know, prior to our relationship and it came on and she started like saying all the lines and it was like this whole, you know, teenage version of herself that she just consumed it, then watched it over and over again and like still remembered everything. And she was yeah. laughing hysterically, you know, the coolest, you know, yeah, she always got <laughs> Chris Farley on the bus and. You know, peeing and peeing your pants. I got it. I know Billy Madison. Um, but Sunday, I had you kind of, you know, on my shoulder, like the, you know, like the devil and the angel, like a little voices in my head, Andy Francis, because on Sunday afternoon, we were invited for Jack's fifth birthday party. And it was a, uh, you know, I think one o'clock start to the birthday, a magician was going to be there. And I'm saying, what should I do here? Do I go to Jack's birthday party? I could probably get a TV on, you know, for the Islander game in the afternoon. And I said, no, I'm going to stay home, right? I'm going to, I'll take the baby. I'll put the baby down for a nap and make sure I can watch the majority of the game quiet. You go to the birthday party with Jack. And know what? The way the Islanders played, I wish I would have seen the magician. Come on, a backyard magician. This is not Chris Angel. They're rolling it out here. He he's doing like the the uh, is this your thumb kind of thing? Where hey, I got your thumb, I got your thumb. I mean, it's for a five year old crew. And I would say they uh, the pictures I saw what cracked me up was that the guy had no outfit. It was just like he was wearing a t shirt and jeans. He just showed like, didn't up. Didn't even try. Honestly, I I would prefer that because I think wearing some sort of outfit is is insulting. Like you know this. I think we're past that. You can't you can't dress up with a bow tie and a top hat and something like that. It just doesn't fit in now. I had I mean, one some of those. regular guy walks in. He goes, you know, I can guess the password on your phone or something. I'm talking about one of these adult magicians. My friend told me that uh, his wife, like you know, in her bachelorette party, they had something where this guy came to dinner and he guessed the passwords to all their phones and got into them and. Now that's some real magic. That's and he a took real off his magician. clothes, right? <laughs> some guy showed up and knew the passwords to all the girls' phones. How the hell did that happen? And I will become that tomorrow if that's a real trick. <laughs> I, uh, I went to a wedding where, like, the cocktail hour, they had a magician walking around. And, like, again, doing, like, mind-blowing type stuff. Like, he threw something onto the ceiling and it stuck and it was a high ceiling like threw it to the top with like the card they had guessed he was bending spoons i remember one thing he did with a lemon where the, where someone gave him a dollar bill they put it in an envelope and then he cut the lemon and there was a dollar the, the exact dollar bill was in the lemon and like the other person had cut it. he didn't even touch it so yeah good magicians my story when it comes to magicians was when i was nine years old um, I had gone to my cousins who were born in April, same age. They were born in April. Um, and they had this great magician in Staten Island that was awesome. So, of course, I told my parents I want a magician for my birthday. My parents called up. My father did the magician that my cousins used. And he wanted like an extra 10 bucks to go over the Verrazano Bridge. And my dad was like, forget it. Like, I'm not paying an extra $10 for your toll. So that was done. So my dad last second found this guy, Morty, the magician who showed up that literally the guy was 75 years old. He had the, he had the whole outfit, the top hat, the whole suit and, uh, not the, not the best bag of tricks for Morty. 
you know, trying to blow the quarters out of your nose and you're just kind of, he just letting them go. The eight-year-olds are pointing it out. He almost fell into the Venetian blinds in my living room. But it's a core memory for me. Well, I guess, I guess some sort of memory is better than none at all. <laughs> well, no magicians. But I'm, yeah, I think uh, I got to look up. Uh, I'm going to bring a magician back. One of the, like you said, the adult magicians for some kind of gathering, I think, uh, coming up in the next uh, few years. And, and just let you know, um, nothing planned right now for, for Friday night. My, my calendar is clear. Yeah, you want to blow and, up those magicians' spot? Ask them who's going to win the Western Conference, and then watch them start, watch all that man- <laughs> magic in there start panicking. Um, other thing I just wanted to brought up that I thought was quite was quite that a Freudian slip? Week. That double sniff you just let out? <laughs> I did a double sniff. Yeah, really. You, because I, I talked about who's going to win the Western Conference, and you went. It's almost like you were you were sniffing. Yeah, my mind's trained now for that. Yeah, I'm sniffing you around. Were sniffing. Who who are you sniffing for the Western Conference? Whoever wins Edmonton, whoever wins the Edmonton uh, Oilers series, I like. Yeah, you you like you like the Oilers series. All right, uh, Edmonton the Kings series. We'll I mean, see. I think Colorado obviously looks vulnerable. Kraken have given them a great um, a great series. You got McCarr now out for Game Five, suspended. Who knows what'll happen there? But I think Colorado gets through. Um, and I think I feel the same way about Edmonton that you kind of feel about Toronto a little bit that if they break through and get by, you know, maybe they go on this run. Well, I mean, they did that last year. How about Vegas just being the most disrespected one seed? They are. They're up 3-1. They're going to close that out. Everyone's just still like, yeah, I think Edmonton and Colorado. Meanwhile, Vegas is like, um, we had the most points here. We're about to close out this series. No, that's a good point. Play- it's funny. Uh, anyway. That was just um, to talk about the magician. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. And then just one more thing quickly for me is that, uh, you know, Anthony Weiner was in the news this week. Um, just picture. I don't think he did anything wrong. He just was like back out with his estranged wife, Uba Abedin. And uh, then they photo him like the next day um, on Sunday and he's wearing an Islanders hat. And people may that are listening may know he's a, always has been a really big Islander fan. So I posted a picture of that on on Twitter, and someone made reference to like a 2016 like podcast he had did um, uh, with with um, Puck Daddy Greg uh, Wyshynski, uh, where he talked Islanders, and uh, he made a reference here. He replied to one of the tweets, and I was like, "Is this really the guy? He's got like his you know kid photo of him growing up as his official photo now." And he goes, if you diagram this, it wasn't any of my scandals that led to my undoing. It was opining about how stupid it was for Devon Tays to walk on. Now, what does he mean by walk on there? I'm trying to think. What is he, what is he referencing at that time frame when he did the interview? Can you say that again? Can you say the quote again? He said, if you diagram this, it wasn't any of my scandals that led to my undoing. It was opining about how stupid it was to let Devon Tays walk on. Was he a walk-on at Quinnipiac or something? I, I, Why would they have referenced that? I don't know what the walk-on thing. Did he make the team? When was his first year? I didn't know what the uh, former New York City representative meant by the walk-on. Because I think the interview happened like 2016, 2017. So it wasn't like he was saying how stupid it was to trade to trade him. Like you would have been in his camp. Um, I don't know. I got to figure that out. That's going to bother me now. I have to go back and listen. Well, you know, that wiener will say anything to, to stay relevant, and who knows. And the Islanders do have, you know, their fair share of interesting celebrities. Um, and they've come through again, of course, during the course of this uh, playoffs. You had um, 
Kevin James, the King of Queens now was out there. You know, I kind of joked that maybe Aaron Rodgers would be there at game six, you know, chug a beer like Zach Wilson did. <laughs> imagine imagine they pull that off. I mean, listen, they had Shakira. I say that maybe Carson Daly makes a phone call and sees if they get Aaron Rodgers there on Friday night. You never know. You never know. That would be something. But then again, wouldn't he go to the Ranger game? Rangers don't play until after that, unless he wants to go to the Devil game. You can't. You can't be going. Well, yeah, I was talking. The about, Jets. Like, the Jets were just there. The Jets. It was. I, there were some Jets the, there. The Jets I don't, are I don't know who scam they were. artists. Okay, they were in Madison Square Garden when the Rangers were doing it last year, and then they were in the Coliseum the year before that. You do something like that, I'll, that's it. You're out forever for me. I don't give a. I don't give a two shits about them chugging the beer. You outed yourselves. You were with us in back-to-back years, and then you just immediately jump over to the Rangers. That's unforgivable to me. I just assumed Giants go to Ranger games, Jets go to Islander games. You take the small, the smaller market takes the smaller market. Bigger market supports the bigger market. None of this jumping back and forth like Jimmy Fallon. It's all a scam and it's inauthentic, and I don't like it. You know, you either you you, decl- you pick a side. You don't, you don't hop in. I should never see someone with a picture in an Islanders jersey and one year later a Rangers jersey and it be real in any way, shape, or form. Just my opinion on the matter. No, thank you. Thank you for sharing it. I'm sure the Islanders will have some, some celebrities uh, in attendance on, on Friday night. Um, well, yeah, the that- real ones will be there. I think Friday, we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen Machio. I don't think in the postseason yet. At least I haven't seen him because it means you know? so much to him. He doesn't want to be smiling for everyone. Wave to Ralph Macho. He wants to be focused on the defensive assignments in the neutral zone and in their own zone. He doesn't want to be waving at the crowd like it's you know. The yeah, Islanders need to be. I don't know if you watched the Cobra Kai. The Islanders need to be a little bit more Miyagi Do uh, when it comes to uh, their, their their defensive structure and especially their penalty kill. Uh, coming you up. got that uh, right, but you know one big thing that uh, that shouldn't be lost in this: if he can get hot now, if Sorokin can can get in their head now, that could be something big heading into a game seven. Because I can assure you, the first period the Islanders will just be flat once again. Game seven, it's just what they do on the road in games. They've never come out and show jump early in a game on the road, just ever. I, I can't remember a single instance. So if they win next game, which I think they will. Just be prepared. We're going to need Sorokin in the first period of Game 7. Mm-hmm. Just mark my words, just like you did tonight. And listen, this was a great sign. 34 saves on 36 shots here on Tuesday night. And uh, Islanders were expecting him to be the, you know, the difference, the, the big difference maker and the X factor in the series for them if his best hockey is ahead of him. And maybe he can even you know, get a, you know, give up one goal or even a shutout in Game in game six and, and carry that over. And all of a sudden you kind of have that, you know, aura about him built back up again. And they're, you know, squeezing their sticks a little bit with all the pressure on them coming back after having a three, one lead, having to win a game seven to advance after what happened to them last year, uh, blowing a, a three, two lead and, and losing in game seven to the Rangers. You can see a scenario where it sets up well for the Islanders uh, heading back into rally, but of course a very big game coming up on Friday night to see if it ever gets to that. All right, Andy, any parting shots, final thoughts on the Islanders or the uh, NHL playoffs before we go? Well, I'm just, uh, I'm weirdly conflicted because like anybody else, you got to be excited that it is, you know, that they're able to stay alive. And like you said early, it feels like it should have been three to two regardless. But how can I not think about the fact that they didn't come out and play well? And the special teams almost killed them again. 
And it's like, am I just supposed to delete that and hope now in game yes, six and seven? That's it's exactly magic. what you're supposed to do. Delete right. and hope. Okay, well, delete then that's and what I'm hope. doing. Control, alt, delete. <laughs> it's just going to be different next game. All right. I, I'm on board. I'm glad we got Andy on board. Control, alt, delete. Out of your brain. brain. Just be like, the Islanders played an amazing game five. And they're and they're going to be uh, hosting uh, Game Six on home ice, electric atmosphere, Friday night at Belmont with a chance to force Game Seven and potentially pull off um, only the third uh, down three one uh, playoff series victory in Islander history. So we will be with you again next week. We'll see if we're getting ready um, for another series or if it's uh, Islanders are done. Maybe on Friday night. Maybe soon thereafter. Um, it's been interesting. It hasn't been boring this season, and that trend uh, certainly continues, as does the fact that every time you, team, you think you have this team pinned down and you know what to expect from them, uh, they tend to do the opposite. For Mr. Andy Francis, I am Joe Bono. We will talk to you next time, Islanders Country. Good night.